You're listening to episode 11 with Paul Clark. Welcome to the Keep Standing Podcast with hosts Shane Perrin and Nathan Woods. Each week we bring you interviews of inspiring individuals embarking on crazy adventures on and off the water. You're stoked that you have joined us. Let's get started. Hey everyone and welcome to the Keep Standing Podcast. My name is Nathan Woods and this is your adventure therapy podcast that hopes to inspire you to live an adventurous life on and off the water. Super excited about today's show as I chat with my good buddy from Bend, Oregon, Paul Clark, who in just in a few years has found his niche in stand-up paddleboarding as a duffel bag adventure paddler. If you're anything like me, it would be a dream to travel the world to the most amazing locations, get on a paddleboard, and then make a living doing so. Heck, I can't even plan vacations anymore with my family without it being somewhere near or on the water itself. Paul, who's a photographer by trade and relatively new to the sport of SUP, has found a way, and today we talk with him about the adventures he has been on and what he does to prepare for them. If you have an itch to travel the world with your board on your back, then take a listen to Paul Clark tell his story, and with that, let's get into the show. Hey, and welcome back to the Keep Standing Podcast, where we are your adventure therapy on and off the water. Today, I got my buddy my fellow Oregonian from just the other side of the Cascade Mountains from me in Bend, Oregon. You probably have seen him. You've probably seen his photos on the Instagram with Sup Paul Clark. Paul, what's going on? Not much. Sup Paul here with Sup Paul Picks on Instagram. Um, I'm uh, just sitting looking at the, the new Whitewater Park here in Bend, Oregon, where I live. Real quick before we'll get in before you get into a little story. So tell us about this park. It's been a long time development and now it's finally about to be opened. Yeah. So over the last 15 years, fundraising, designing uh, has been taking place to build a safe water passage. What was here, uh, this is the old mill district in Bend, right in the heart of town, mm-hmm. where uh, the, uh, the, the lumber industry was going hard for many years. And with that, there was a lot of dangerous features in the river, including a, a spillway that had concrete and, and steel piling. And over the last decade, uh, people have died in that floating through it. So there's been a project to build a safe passage through there. And the, the Bend uh, Trail Alliance has been taking the lead in constructing this safe water passage that has whitewater features and also a fish habitat. 15 years later, day one today, it officially opens at five o'clock. And you got a little little sneak peek of it yesterday, right? Yes. The, the bottom wave is open to the general public. It's out of the construction zone. So uh, it was able to, to paddle around in there, and it, and it serves really nicely for a stand-up board. Awesome. Well, like, like I've told you, I think in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to drive over the mountains. You're going to give me a little insight into it and, and help me get onto it. Obviously, whitewater is not the easiest thing to do with my legs, but um, I love to at least fall in a lot, so that's good. <laughs> so real quick, let's give people, the listeners, a background, just who you are. Um, obviously, you live in Bend, but just how you got into SUP. You, you come you come from sea kayaking, kind of a lot of, I do. right? So just give a little quick little background just of you and how you got into the sport. Well, my introduction to paddleboarding was simply with a, a dry bag. I didn't really find paddleboarding all that 
interesting. It was a lot of fair weather, flat water in uh, in Bend where I first uh, came in contact with it. Um, but as soon as I put a dry bag on it and did an overnighter, I was totally hooked. And that comes from my background as a long distance hiker and a commercial sea kayak guide and also a solo paddler. Um, as a kayaker, I did a lot of uh, multi-hundred mile trips, multi-day trips by myself. So pedestrian uh, activities have always been things I've interested, been interested in. I was raised in the Tahoe area, so backcountry skiing, hiking, um, kayaking, you name that type of activity that you could go long distances with a, you know, a small amount of gear relatively. And now I've done that with stand-up, uh, put the dry bag on and go. And a lot of those places where you could go are rivers. And so learning whitewater for the last few years has been a nice, interesting challenge. And in that challenge, I've gotten a lot of positive reputation reputation for myself and for some brands that I work closely with. So it's been a, it's been a good three years. That's all I've been doing it. Um, but it's been a great three years of adventure. And that adventure has taken me beyond the river to foreign countries and open water. And it's been great. Yeah, and we'll get into a couple of those stories here in a sec. Um, I remember the first time I heard about you or read about you, you he had done an overnighter just on your, on that same river that it shoots, but you did the the lower section all the way to the mouth, right? A few years ago. Yeah, I've done that a few miles. Uh, the the hundred mile section of the lower to shoots from uh, Lake Billy Chinook to the mouth of the Columbia, uh, Pelton Dam, basically to the mouth of the Columbia is a hundred miles of this wonderful, fast moving desert river world-class steel head fisheries and uh, wonderful opportunities for paddleboarders to uh, be in swift water and up to class three whitewater. Mm -hmm. There are something like a dozen named class three rapids along that hundred miles. And I've actually done that section all as a, a, as a single 16 hour push. hundred miles in 16 hours on a river is, is possible with a stand-up board. Yeah, yeah, especially if that it's a fl fast flown one. When I did my, the Willamette, you get to a spot where yeah. it basically just turns into a lake, and it becomes yep. hard to do that. Um, you get spoiled at eight miles an hour. Yeah, that's what the Deschutes. Well, I, that's another trip I need to come do out with you here, maybe in the next little while. Yeah. Now that I'm getting a little more time freedom in my life as well, so. We're on the theme of whitewater with the park um, and you. So let's give a little insight. And it's obviously one of the fastest growing parts of our, our sport and stand-up paddleboarding right now. What's, what's it about it that kind of drives you and gets you excited about getting on the water? Whitewater? Yeah, whitewater. Uh, it's, it's the movement. It's the, the attention that's required. It's the focus. It's the balance. It's, it's, it's my challenge. When I was a kayaker, I had absolutely no interest in whitewater. The, the claustrophobia of, of being confined to a boat, rolling, the, the technical abilities that were necessary for a kayak were overwhelming. I was never able, I was a raft guide. Uh, and so in a kayak, you know, being chest deep in aerated water, I wasn't able to read the river properly and just never gave it enough time and, and effort and didn't have any interest. Hmm. So since I've started standing up on whitewater, I've had a much greater appreciation of how rivers exist, the dynamics, the hazards, uh, the environments, the environmental hazards, um, the, the human impact on rivers. And standing up has given me the, the opportunity to really explore a new environment or a new environment for me. Um, and the more I spend time on rivers, the more I realize the importance of knowing how to run whitewater 
So a lot of my days, uh, all winter, for example, we didn't have a lot of snow. Mm -hmm. So I used to be the guy that would complain if I didn't have 100 days on, on skis. Now, last year, I had over 100 days in a dry suit. Oh, jeez. Uh, and winter in Oregon is a river environment, believe it or not. A lot of people don't know that the best uh, flows are in winter. So there's a lot of good white water. Of course, it's dry suit white water. But, uh, you know, Oregon is wonderful in the summer and in the winter. I and, and so it's it's just it's just so I look forward to paddling and and whitewater is is where I paddle. Yeah, I remember telling you there's one stretch of the North Fork of the no the the North Fork of the Middle Fork of the Land where I go camping all the time and it's mm -hmm. a spot where yeah I don't have any friends out here that would go with me but I need to get you out here and we can go explore that stretch. I know there's one stretch that's called like the Miracle Mile that I don't even I, I the the most advanced kayakers have a hard time going through. So I don't know if we'll be going through that section, although you probably give it a whirl a little bit. Um, Stand up, swim down. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's a it's a neat little area, and that's a great thing, obviously, that I think you would agree that the great thing about Oregon is the vast variety of water that we have just within a few hours of each other. Exactly, exactly. And diverse water. The desert uh, offers uh, a, a unique river system, the green side of Oregon offers a unique river system, and, and blending those are fantastic. And you can go, uh, go up north and be in downwind conditions at Hood River, and then you can be, you know, for me, I'm an hour away from the mountains. I'm not obviously in the heart of the Lamont River, and then an hour the other way, I can be in ocean and surf. Cool. So, well, that, I, I mean, obviously, you, you have a lot. You're an, you're an inflatable guy, and you do a lot of stuff with Hala. Um, what, what's it about? Then flightables that you've kind of enjoyed, especially when you you're traveling and doing all this white water. Well, traveling is is the the key to inflatable. That's the the, the ice up story, the inflatable stand up, inflatable story. You know, put it in your luggage and go. Uh, with the hall, I'm an ambassador for them. I rep for them and and uh, and do a lot of things with them. Many hats with Hala. Uh, they're they're. They're uh, the brand where, of course, you travel with it, throw it in the back of your car, put it in your backpack, whatever it is. But when you get to the water, you perform with it. Very rigid boards, very durable boards. River design based in Colorado, Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Their testing grounds are the Yanbar River, so they, hmm. they hit things. They abuse their boards. And so when I finally got on with them a few years ago, I was popping inflatable boards and, and breaking glass boards. I'm like, yeah, I don't know about this sport. And they're like, well, try ours. And uh, ever since, I'm completely uh, you know, loyal to them because I just don't break their equipment and I abuse it pretty regularly. But you know, the traveling story is fantastic. You don't need to be tethered to your car to have a, have a stand-up paddle expedition. It could be a boat. You could fly in. You could do whatever. Of course, you could drive it in, but... And then when you get to the water, uh, perform. So that's why I'm all about hollow. And as far as inflatable on rivers in general, that's what I go for. Of, of uh, you know, broken glass boards. I've fallen on glass boards and thought I broke myself. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, not breaking a board is an important thing on an expedition. And not hurting yourself when you fall onto your board is, is good too. So um, I like the, I often liken the, the difference between a glass board and an inflatable board as a full suspension versus a hardtail. Yeah, you have good precision with uh, that glass board. You could turn quickly. You could essentially go faster on a straightaway. 
but the the inflatable is that full suspension you feel the river a little bit more yeah. you absorb it a little bit it's less impactful on your body yeah i agree and um and you talk about travel i want to get into that a little bit with these inflatable boards you've gone to some in the last just in the last couple of years you've gone to in some incredible locations for some expeditions and one that i think the most envious and i think you've done it two years no you've done two trips not in the same location but two central american locations in mexico and costa rica is where you were last year panama right well the, the panama yeah earlier this year I was in, i was in panama um, doing a three week trip around the bocas del poro area known for its uh, reef surfing uh, third world, you know, dollar beers, sewage in the street, and the best laughs of your life. Hmm. Well, I was focused more on traveling with uh, indigenous populations. The Nobe Indians in that area, you know, still dig out their uh, canoes and, and paddle in between islands and islands. So, uh, so I was able to, to in their villages, uh, but I was able to, to meet a few and, and uh, be on the water when they were around. So the ability to, to, to paddle with long-term paddle communities are fantastic. So that was my Bocas tour. Um, earlier this month, I was in Alaska in the Inside Passage doing a tour. And of course, the Haida and the Tlingit uh, native communities were always about open doing. Uh, so that, that, you know, that hit. It, though stand-up paddleboarding is relatively new, it's still a heritage sport, and that's, that's what I love to, to experience with it. I think just this stand-up multi-day expeditions is going to be getting more and more popular. As we, we see more just the, the publications and the Instagram and you, people like you that are doing it and people getting envious of those type of trips. What are some, what is your key gear um, when you go on an expedition that's a multi-day solo thing that you just you have to have? And I think the listeners would, would benefit so they can kind of prepare like, hey, these are the tools that I need to go on a, a multi-day expedition. Well, the gear list, uh, you know, rivers or open water, you know, they're, they're a little bit different, but essentially the board and the, the, the size and design of the board for the environment. For Alaska, it was on a 14-foot inflatable. That was perfect. The 12.6 that I took to the Sea of Cortez for a 300-mile solo trip, 12.6 was a little small. So for touring, the 14-foot is, is the way to go. For rivers, you know, 10 feet, uh, so that you have the, the, the volume to carry some overnight gear, but not be overweighted with the length of the board so you can mm-hmm. navigate. Um, so when I did the, the Rogue earlier this year, I was on the, the Hala Haas, which is a, is a 10-5 board, and that worked perfectly. But So the board, of course, you have to have a paddle and a pump. For rivers, uh, uh, flotation, you know, I wear a, an astral vest the entire time um, attached with a, a, a breakaway leash and shoes in river always the it doesn't matter if it's a multi-day or um, a river session shoes pfd detachable leash and a helmet uh, those are the the critical requirements for that and then you dress for immersion wetsuit dry suit i find myself wearing a dry suit more than a wetsuit um, because I think I could control the, the temperature a little bit better that way. Mm-hmm. If I get too hot, I just dump it in the river. With a wetsuit, you know, wetsuits have been around a while for surfers, but surfers are in the water a lot more than stand-up guys are. Uh, so if you're wet in a, in a, in a wetsuit, your body is intended, or it, it ideally is, is warming up that water that's trapped in the wetsuit. But if you're standing in a wetsuit, you're now exposed to the elements and 
I've been mildly hypothermic in wetsuits before. So you have to dress for immersion and you also have to dress for exposure. And sometimes that exposure has nothing to do with the, the water itself. So uh, those are the critical things with that. For overnighters, dry bags, I use Sea to Summit, Big River dry bags, tethered to the board. Um, the ability to get those bags off fairly quickly, put them back on, is important, but they also need to be non-moving. So good dry bags, good tethering system. Um, I focus on as lightweight equipment as possible. So think about a 20-liter bag of, of gear. Say if you're doing a long-distance through hike, bring that type of camping equipment. And then the, the river stuff that's associated with that, the repair kits, mm-hmm. the first aid kits, the pumps, which makes your lightweight tour a little bit heavier. Seems like I could never get away with about 50 pounds of gear on overnight trips paddleboarding, but uh, that's just the nature of a water world with mixed environments. And and uh, so there's that. But um, yeah, to, to be self-contained, you have to have beyond gear, uh, a good sense of self-reliance, self-rescue, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the ability to perform well by yourself. I used to instruct outward bound classes in Alaska and Mexico and also used to be a guide, like I said earlier. And it's amazing. I was always amazed uh, by solitude. People are really uncomfortable when the lights go out and they're by themselves. Solo parts of an outward bound trip were always where the the best emotions came out. So when you're on a solo trip for however long, overnight, a month, two months, whatever it might be, uh, you really are engaged with yourself alone and that could be problematic for a lot of people so that's a skill set in its own right what's your go-to because obviously at the pack light um you have you'll have a little bit of cooking stuff but what kind of food do you carry on a multi-day multi-night sure. Jeez, i'm not the, i'm not the the best one to ask about that i don't usually, <laughs> but uh, what what, I, what do you care i'm not asking what a nutritionist would probably want you to have. yeah what do yeah, you care would like what i eat but uh what i've ended up with for food every night in in the field, whether I buy backpacking or on a on a on a overnight SUP trip, ramen, regardless of the quality of ramen, sometimes yep. a little bit better than others, but ramen and canned tuna. That's my dinner, and I make it like a little stew. And if I have uh, avocados or carrots, you know, I'll mix those into it. But every night it's it's ramen and tuna, bagged tuna or canned tuna, and I feel like that's satisfying. Uh, during the day, nuts. Uh, well, let me just go over the list that I had in Alaska, um, and which turned out to be a seven-day trip that I did from Juneau to Haines. Uh, bought a bag of spinach, bought my cans of tuna with ramen, uh, a small bag of mini Milky Ways, summer sausage, string cheese, uh, and for the first time ever, I brought uh, tangerines, and tangerines were key. I loved them. They were durable, and they tasted good, and I had a lot of them. Uh, what else did I have? Uh, instant oatmeal, um, coffee. I always drink coffee um, and uh, hot chocolate. Probably had some more things, but it was just it was comfort food that was focused on calories and easy preparation. Boil some water and, and your meal's ready. And when you're doing these, you're not necessarily going insane like a, a Shane Perrin doing ultra distant racing. You- so that's that's why uh, my website set Paul the the banner is all things adventure paddling. Yeah. Uh, in in these type of sports, the racers are the the people that have the reputation. You mm-hmm. know, whether you be a Kelly Slater or a Kyle Lenny or or you name it, um, board sport. Uh, 
the the people who have the reputation are the racers and i've been able to find a niche for myself to get a reputation for being a person who doesn't race for the person who's willing to go solo who's willing to put a a, a dry bag on the board and that's that's catching a, a, enough attention that it's really redefining it you don't have to be the racer you don't have to be the equivalent of a, a road rider wearing tight clothes and mm-hmm. being a pack and that's the last thing i want um and so uh, uh the the adventure or the the travel paddling um rough water paddling are, are uh, what i seek and fortunately i've been able to uh, uh make my my reputation in it and now I'm making a living doing it and I'll get, we'll get into this right now. I think a lot of that is because you are legitimately probably one of the most photographed um, paddlers out there, especially uh-huh. when it comes to the adventure stuff. Uh, it seems like every other day I'm seeing either your your photo on someone else's Instagram or obviously you posting it yourself. Talk about how that, obviously you're a photographer by trade as well, but talk about just the, the tricks that you do because I think – if someone uh-huh. also wanted to kind of follow your path and hey, I'm not going to be a racer, but I want to be this adventure paddler, but taking photos of yourself probably takes a little bit of planning. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, if, uh, what's the name? Um, uh, Kai, uh, she's Louise, uh, Kane West girl, uh, wife. You know who I'm talking about? Kanye West wife, Kim. Yeah. Kim Kardashian. Yeah. I don't know who takes more selfies, Kim Kardashian or me. so uh you know part of that gear list uh what actually the the heaviest part of my gear list is camera equipment even though i bring relatively lightweight cameras gopro digital camera body that's fairly lightweight and a couple of lenses it takes volume and it takes weight it takes space and of course it requires now uh stuff to charge and a tripod but you know you know i made a, a decision early on well photography has always been my has been my career path but in paddleboarding i decided early on that the camera comes along and 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 things are documented and it's and i I get them i get emotional if i do a trip without documentation Mm -hmm. i wish i could say i could go on a trip without a camera and i'm actually working on a project to do that uh in uh but it's hard not to bring something and with our technology you know even a phone is a camera yeah gopro is interesting so there's always the ability to document somehow whether it be with creative composition and lighting or just a quick little, hey, I'm paddling in front of a, a, a glacier and here's my GoPro. You know, I do take a lot of photos. It does distract, I think, from the, the overall trip. But given that this is my profession, the overall trip is a part of the business model as well. Yeah, I mean, from seeing you you with your camp and see to Summit gear to obviously the shoes. and I mean, it's it's... There's provided you a way to get into the sport and kind of live the lifestyle that you've wanted to. Yes. No, I, I, but I do wonder, are there some times when like, and this is just me watching when, when you're do like, when you're in whitewater where you just set the camera up and you go by, cause there's times when you're, you're obviously not on a GoPro or do you all, you have in that case as a photographer that you'd bring along. Uh, well, the GoPro is easy because it fits in a in a PFD. Um, I've actually had more cover shots in magazines or ad spreads with a GoPro than I've had with with other cameras. So mm-hmm. it's funny that. Um, so usually the GoPro comes with me. Uh, uh, the the more and more I travel with people, we share photographic uh, responsibilities. Okay. 
Um, and you do when you have someone behind the lens, it's just a lot easier to be more creative as opposed to set it up and let the, the camera do a time lapse and you paddle by it. Uh, you know, those work. Uh, those are what I consider B-rolls. And sometimes I've had really su good success with B-rolls. But the ability to communicate with a paddler and a photographer, that's where magic happens, I think. So ideally, more people that come along um, who speak the same language, you get the better documentation, at least of action. And yeah. uh, so when, when I'm on solo trip, I'm a little less, you know, my shot list includes some paddling, but usually it, it's people that I meet along the way at the environment, at, in Alaska, totem poles and bald eagles. Uh, in Panama, of course, it was children and, and diversity of ethnicity, uh, the Afro communities there, the Indian communities there. So that's, that's what I focus on with my camera work when I'm, when I'm doing a solo trip as opposed to action. To you paddling. And you go in, I mean, on these trips, do you generally go in with a, a shot list and a plan of what you want to get? Whether it be written down or in my head, yes, yeah. I always have a shot list. Well, I, I think you could do, you could create a whole on blog about how to, to be a photographer within the stand-up paddleboard community and make a, make a living. I think you'd get a lot of people hitting your, your traffic. So I'm sure you already do that. Um, quick question as we kind of finish up here. We talk about a lot of these trips that you're going on. What, what's kind of the, not even a trip that's planned, but a trip that's in that fruition of a dream trip that you, you want to you go on? Well, later it, or uh, in October, I'm going to Japan. That's always been a dream. Um, I'm thinking about uh, uh, rendezvousing with some others, maybe even this uh, this winter in Mexico and Peru. Uh, Turkey is a uh, is a trip that I'm interested in. Um, uh, the the headwaters of the Fertile Crescent. Uh, there's white water in Turkey that that uh, eventually end up in uh, the Euphrates and the and the Tigris. Areas that I'm not interested in going, those particular places, you know, Syria and Iran, yeah. Iraq, I'm not really super enthusiastic about. But Turkey, I would uh, very much like to paddle in and to explore. Um, Cuba is now open for U.S. citizens, so that novelty in its own right, I'm yeah. interested in. Uh, paddling, exploring, regardless of the destination, whether it be in my backyard at a whitewater park or as far away from here as possible. Those, those, those all offer opportunities for me right now. Oh. Well, I think you're still in your dry suit, so we're going to get you back I, on the river. Um, but before we do, yeah. how, how can people, how can our listeners connect with you, follow you um, on your trips and, and check you out? Well, even though I have a website, SupPaul, um, I find that I don't, uh, SupPaul.com, I, I don't update it nearly enough. And so social media, Facebook, um, uh, my athlete page is SupPaul, Paul Clark, is my you know regular Facebook and uh, Instagram. It seems like I do something every day with Instagram at SupPaulPics. Um, so that should be easy enough to find or just Google SupPaul or hashtag SupPaul. We will make sure also to put it in the show notes when um, at the bottom of the page. So don't worry about if trying to write that down. We'll, we'll have it for you. <laughs> Um, with that, Paul, appreciate it. Like I said, let's let's connect in a couple of weeks. I want to get out there to bend for short out, the short drive for me and, and get on the water with you. Nathan. Hey, sweet. Have a good day. You too. Hey, thanks for listening to episode 11 with Paul Clark. Remember, if you enjoyed today's show, we would love it if you would go over and share it with your friends and family. 
And if you have just a couple of minutes, click over to iTunes and give us a little review. That is the best place for us to get people new to the show and have them discover what we're doing with the Keep Standing podcast. Truly appreciate you guys joining us today. And remember that life is 10% what happens, 90% how you respond. Keep standing. Keep standing.